Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode four, The Flying Forest. Written by David Reed and directed by Carol Banker. IMDb gave this a 9.2, so they're up from an 8.8 for episode three. I have to say I'm up as well. I'm even more Mm -hmm. excited than them. This was by far my favorite episode of season two. And one of my favorites for the entire show. Uh, I'm on board with that. It's a very quotable episode. There was, like I always say, but I, it's what I really love about the show is their ability to juxtapose really sad and serious parts with funny and humorous sections. And uh, they did it perfectly in this episode, if you ask me. Dean Fogg himself said it well during the episode. Proving once again comedy and tragedy can coexist in the same goddamn sentence. That's true. And of course, he was referring to the magic failing on Earth because of shit. (laughs) And we did get a lot more poop in this episode as well. They just can't stop with the poop jokes. But on a serious note, I have to say, there was a lot of action, but the pacing felt better to me than in last episode. Things Mm -hmm. moved smoother. We got the introduction of some great new characters We'll get that in new faces and places. I'm excited to talk about it. The biggest joy for me, though, was the return to form from the book. Things that we've been waiting for as readers that I was worried we wouldn't get. They threw so much of it in there. It was like they were tipping their hat to us. And we also got the start of the season two adventure that I've been talking about. And book two, that's what you've been waiting for. The things that happen in book two, right? The magical fun time journeys. And couldn't you feel it? The walk through the flying forest, the yeah. search for the white lady. It's what you want out of Fillory. I got to tell you, I have to get better at taking notes. I type really fast. I don't even have to look at the screen. So it's not my typing. But episodes like this, which I'm not complaining because this was a great episode. And this is what makes it great. But when they go to different scenes quick. Mm-hmm. I always break up my scenes and my notes with a, a line and then in bold, who's in the scene. Mm-hmm. So I'm always like, oh shit, another scene. And I got to type that down. And that's when you see me pausing all the time on you. My one tiny criticism of this episode was the same thing. I was feeling frustrated the first few episodes and I talked about it on the podcast that they were spending a lot of time on less significant events when I knew they had a lot they really wanted to cover in season two. And I was afraid that this exact thing would happen. They would now have to start kind of rushing through the really cool moments, the introductions to new things and stuff I wish they would spend a little more time on. So I was kind of thinking to myself, I hope they would slow down just a little bit. I still love the episode. It didn't detract from it for me. I wonder if they don't dive so deeply into the fantasy. I mean, they do, but... They don't take as much time to introduce the fantasy as we want. I wonder if the reason being that their original pitch for the show to Fox was mainly all fantasy. And it wasn't until it was rewritten where it gave this more humanistic feeling and this more human background, more on Earth and all that, where they got the green light. I wonder if that's why they're not, you know, sticking their whole foot in that puddle. Instead, they're just dipping it nicely for us. 
I think that a lot of shows worry about this, even still with a rise in attraction for fantasy. They're afraid of turning away some of their audience by delving too deep into that. Like you said, especially when you've put this to your viewers that your show is kind of about magic, but in the real world and a lot darker. What I do have to say is the books were similar, though. The first book in the Magician series was a lot more about relationships and the human aspect. Book two felt like you were transitioning almost to a different writer and a different world. It got very magical, but that's why I loved it. So this is kind of the moment I've been waiting for, and I don't want them to be afraid to be who they are. Yeah. Who they are definitely involves part magic. Just do you, bro. That might be us in particular that loves that because we find ourselves saying that about Game of Thrones during those podcasts. Yes. And they also... More dragons. Well, us, maybe it was really me. I'm like, (laughs) more dragons. They also try to walk that fine line to keep both sides of the viewership. And I know I've listened to podcasts that say it's too much. It's too much fantasy. Those are the parts they hate about Game of Thrones. So you could be right on that. I say that's bullocks. Speaking of stuff they've taken from the books, though, the title of this episode, The Flying Forest, comes from the third novel in the Fillory and Further series. So in-universe, the Fillory books that Quentin's always talking about, there are seven of them, and this comes from the third one. It's also, of course, a reference to the place, The Flying Forest, that we'll talk about later. We had one music note for this episode, which was Neon by Thomas Hayes, but the Rios radio mix. And I'm not sure exactly when it was playing in the episode, I don't remember either. I'm sure if we listened, if we watched it again right now, we'd be like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's move on to a few more fun facts. Two of them that I have aren't necessarily about Fillory or the magicians, but rather it's about magic. Did you know that the word magic is derived from the Persian word magis, which designated a priestly class? I don't know if they mean that by religious Mm -hmm. wise. Is that what you got that from? I mean, where you get from that? I'm not sure, although I could see that. I could see, especially back in the day, people looking at that, religious figures as being so above that it's almost magical. I, that could be why wizards are depicted with these big gowns. Mm-hmm. Just like priests wear. Yeah, robes and gowns. Yeah. I wonder. Huh. Also, the ancient Greeks were great admirers of magic erecting statues of their favorite magicians. Homer even mentions conjurers in his epic poem, The Iliad. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is cool. And there's, there's plenty more with that. I've been doing a lot of research. I, I don't know. I just love magic. So these are all very interesting. Oh, things. yeah. You can keep those coming as far as I'm concerned. Going back to the magician's universe, Hypable.com had an article called Showrunner Sarah Gamble Shares 10 Facts About Season 2. You can read this article on our Twitter page. We put it up there, at CKC Podcast. But I wanted to go over a few highlights of that. Okay. It's a really well-written article. Sierra Gamble says, Originally, we thought that Alice would die at the end of season one. As we got closer to the final episode, in terms of breaking the story and really beating it out, it became clear to us that there was just so much story to tell. With the Beast, with Alice, we weren't ready to do it all in one fight, which is why the final product looks like the fight with the beast part one that leaves everybody lying on the floor at the end of season one. And then the fight with the beast part two, which took place in episode three. Yes, that was my hesitation about the breakup, though. It felt a little unnatural to me. I had talked about last episode, the carryover. 
from season one. I did like getting more of the Alice background. Yeah. But the way they paced that out was a little weird. I'm concerned not having Alice around. She was their most powerful magician. I don't know that I'm concerned for the gap that it's leaving in magic because other people are certainly stepping up to the plate and we will talk about that as we go through the episode. I am most worried about its obvious effects on Quentin and what he's going to do now that he's falling into his desperation of everything's terrible and he can't live if it means no Alice. Gamble also says, Elliot's learning this thing I think we all learn when we try to shape up, self-improve, or move our lives in a new direction, which is that there is a reason why you were behaving the way you were to begin with. Elliot doesn't have these demons for no reason. He doesn't have this desire to keep partying long past where everyone else falls away for no reason. Topping off the statement by wisely saying, he took on a whole other planet, but he can't even get away from himself. Yeah. Yeah. We we said that when they first got into Fillory, how they're taking themselves with them. Quentin thought his whole life that Fillory would be the answer to his problems. He read these books obsessively and wished if there could only be a world like this. Then he discovered break bills where magic is real. But once he got there, he realized he still wasn't happy. Yeah. Magic alone didn't do it for him. So the solution then was to find an all magical world. And he did. Now he's here and still experiencing that sadness. And the white lady will tell him, it would eventually find you. Even if I took all your memories of Alice away and I fixed you, you'd still be left with that problem. That's something he has to figure out. And each one of our characters is dealing with that in their very own real way. I agree. And just like with anything, when you try to go to the extreme, for example, I used to be a personal trainer in, in college. That's how... I made a little bit of cash. Oftentimes I had clients that were, you know, I just decided I'm tired of being fat, trying to, tired of being lazy. That's what they would say. Mm-hmm. So now I'm here. And I would be hesitant in diving them completely in because I know that they're not ready to just change their life mm-hmm. in one day. So I would try to instill in them not just the exercises I was teaching them, but also to slowly change your life. You can't go from eating everything that you want to indulge in to saying, nope, I'm only going to eat this, this, and this, and I'm going to be very methodical about it. It works sometimes where you see these like extreme weight losses, but then it just seesaws back in the other direction, but even Mm -hmm. further. It's not something that you can do right away. You need to gradually change things. If you go out and you get burgers all the time and you know you love burgers and that is a source of happiness, when you order a burger, say... Uh, I'll have the cheeseburger, no bun, please. Little things at a time to eventually your lifestyle changes and then you're able to acquiesce to what your quote-unquote new self can be. Well, that pacing type theory works for a character like Elliot who is ready to take on the responsibility, ready to make changes for himself and is doing that now that he's here. For Quentin, I think it's more of an issue of where does happiness come from? He has believed that happiness is an external thing. Mm -hmm. If I only had this, if I only was there, these things will come and then I will be happy. But that's not the case, he's finding out. It has to come from inside, internally. He needs to make the decision to be happy or nothing in the world is going to be able to do it for him. If magic and fillery and all of that can't make him happy, then nothing will. And I think he he kind of came to that realization at the end of this episode, but he still has no idea what to do about it. 
And we'll talk about him more when we get to his sections. And in Elliot's case, we were asking, and I knew right away, for too much. You have to now be the king, and you have a huge responsibility. You can no longer have sex with who you wish. Mm-hmm. It has to be this one woman, mm-hmm. and you can never leave Fillory. Someone like Elliot is special because he's a candle that burns bright and is volatile. And asking him to do this all at once is most likely just going to blow out the candle. Right. Well, it's saying stop being who you are. And he realized that he couldn't do that. He would be lost if he tried to do it their way. So he started trying to do it his way and maintain a little bit of fun. But he did come back to the responsibility point when he went and talked to Dean Fogg and said, this is really tearing me apart. It's not that I'm assimilating it. I'm being pulled in two different directions. The me that I was back there and this king I'm pretending to be, I'm not equipped to do it and I need your help. Mm -hmm. So he's still trying and he's seeking out people that can aid him in that. By the way, Dean Fogg actually saying he's going to step up to the plate and help with something here. And I love that. Finally, Dean Fogg may help a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I know I'm jaded. I, I just want more from him. I know he's helped a little bit here and there where they needed it, but I expect more. Just speaking about all these things that we loved about this episode, there was so much. The storylines, how the characters are evolving, the humor, I even thought was more on point than it has been so far, despite the fact that there were still poop jokes. (laughs) Uh, The visuals were stunning. We've been waiting for... Despite the fact, I love poop jokes. (laughs) Okay, or because of the poop jokes, depending (laughs) on your humor. I love the fact we've been waiting for creatures of Fillory. We got many that we'll talk about soon. I don't know if this is primarily a credit to David Reed and Carol Banker. Certainly they must have something to do with it. I wasn't that familiar with Banker. She was the director of this episode, so we looked it up. She has directed shows including NYPD Blue, Glee, Code Black, The Vampire Diaries, And she will be doing the arrangement, but she has a much longer list for script supervisor credits, including The X-Files, Clerks, Californication, Zack and Miri, Glee, and American Horror Story, amongst others. Twitter was speaking very highly about her before the episode started. I often go on Twitter, I see what the buzz is Hmm. with hashtag the magicians. And we were getting a lot of tweets like, oh, I can't wait for this director. This is going to be awesome. So we had to check her out. And she delivered with this one as well. Before we get into talking about the episode, we have to go over our new faces and places. Jason, we had quite a few. Let's start with faces. We've talked a little about the High Council, although really we had only seen the primary consultant, Tick Pickwick, prior to this episode. Say that three times. I can't, and I'm not going to try. Tick, pick, quick, tick, pick, quick. Tick, pick, quick, tick, tick, pick, quick. We saw the whole council, it appeared, actually counseling our rulers, or trying to in this episode. Their titles consist of the Secretary of War, the Secretary of Agriculture, and the Ambassador to the Talking Animals. Together with our rulers, they are supposed to represent the diverse families, flora, and fauna of Fillory. Okay, that makes sense. I think we're going to get to know them better. We still don't know any of the names. We saw the centaurs, who are the healers of Fillory. They work at this place called The Retreat, where Quentin and Penny find themselves. They were cool. They were very majestic. I love centaurs. It's funny. I guess this goes back, way back, into 
the original fantasy books, but centaurs are always depicted as very smart, very intellectual. Yes, intellectual, but mysterious Yes, as well. I think of them from Harry Potter, where they're always divining these signs from the stars and astrology oh, yeah. and everything, but they can never give you a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know they have all this knowledge, but they're above human understanding. What about Percy Jackson, the head of their school yeah. or their camp? I got a bit of that vibe here, too, although we didn't get too much of the Fillory centaurs. We saw more of the nurse, and I'm not even sure if we caught her name. No, there was no name given. Okay. But she says that they saved her life once, and that's what she's doing there, repaying that debt. There's a great picture. I don't think we really got to see the scale of them or how grand they are. There's a great picture on the magician's website where they have Penny on the table holding his arms together clasped so that his hands wouldn't freak out Mm -hmm. and the huge centaur there talking to him and you can see the vastness of it and I just think it's beautiful I love that kind of stuff yeah I have a little Quincy in me (laughs) (laughs) some great lines here we also met Javier a second year student who is at break bills for the welters tournament that will have a relationship with Elliot briefly I was like oh that's too easy that's right up <laughs> we also saw Todd, who's not a new character, but returning with some lines this time, played by Adam DeMarco. He's a kid from the Physical Kids Cottage who now thinks he's the new Elliot. Oh, I wish I knew how much time has gone by. Enough that apparently he thought they were all dead, threw a party in their honor, and it went so well that they've now raised him up in status. He's no longer the dorky kid running around doing errands for Margot and trying to please. So sad. I, f- I felt bad for Elliot at that moment. Yeah. Just knowing how much this means to him. Well, and of course, we got our first view of the white lady, played by Emma Dumont. They call her the Winter's Doe, one of the seven questing creatures of Fillory. If she is hunted, she will grant a wish, anything you want. I loved her character. Looking at her, you see this beautiful, white, angelic creature. But then as soon as she talks, you're like, oh, this is definitely the magician's universe. I loved it. There was something even in her face, though, that wasn't quite kind and inviting. There was still that animal aspect. Oh, sharp features, her nose. A little intimidating. Yes, they did it perfectly. And the way she moved, I don't know how much of this was her. I know that's all costuming. It takes hours to put this together, the painting, the makeup, everything they're doing with her, the real hair on her body. Mm -hmm. It takes hours to put this together, just so you know. You? you? Is that what we're talking about here? They can't see you doing this. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I want to give you a little bit of book knowledge. If you're afraid of any kind of spoilers, and I don't believe this is one, but you can go forward about a minute or two. They did refer to these seven questing creatures... This is a book concept that comes from the 12 unique beasts of Fillory, creatures that each have their own special abilities. To name a few, there is the questing beast, a white stag that can grant three wishes, and this is where the idea comes from for the white lady. The seeing hare that can predict the future for anyone that captures it. The great bird of peace, a large flightless bird that can stop fights with its presence. And the Unseen Monitor, a large lizard that can turn a person invisible for a year. Wow. So they're different types of creatures that 
you know, the big thing about being in a land like this is going on a quest. And Quentin has engaged him and Penny unknowingly in one of them. I'm wondering if there's still a human on Fillory right now who is invisible right now and they don't know of him or her. That's a cool idea. And she's been watching. What about the one that can predict the future? That could be good or bad. You never want to know your future. Haven't you watched enough movies and TV shows? True. All right, let's move on to places. First, we just got a mention of something new. We don't know that much about it. But a place called the Southern Orchard, which is south of White Spire, that's the area that supposedly is moving into rebellion. Oh, boy. That we find out from the council. And the Outer Islands, which you can't even see it on the map of Fillory, they're the ones who are not paying their taxes. I think you see it on the interactive map. The Outer Islands? No. No. Nope, What's that there. northern part? That's Loria, and I'm sure we'll go there eventually too, which the retreat, the area we're going to talk about next, is right at the border. Just north of that is the southern part of Loria. Okay. So it's hard to tell exactly where you are, but the retreat at the edge of the northern barrier is a bright and tranquil place filled with towering trees and well-maintained paths. It is a Florian monastery populated by centaurs adept in the healing arts. But check your sass at the door because these doctors are serious and have a rigid approach to healing. Check your sass at the door. That's so apropos because I feel like everyone in Fillory has sass. Especially our children of Earth. Yeah, but what about the white lady? My God. She's got her own thing going on. I don't even know if I'd call it sass. Very different. She's talking in riddles. She seems to know more about everything, but she doesn't quite want to tell you. Yeah, but the beginning part when she starts talking to him, that was very sassy. Yes. The next place, a source of humor, the Flying Forest. It's across from the Great Salt River. They describe it as a place where the mind sets sail on winds as sweet as lullabies. Once you've found this place, you're lost. But once lost, you've taken the first step to to finding yourself. We have mentioned that before. Yeah. uh, My favorite part of the episode. This reminds me of, so what drug would this be? This would be some kind of hallucinogen. Hallucinogenic. They made it seem like weed at first because Penny was talking about getting a contact high. They were just sort of feeling really good. But then it almost turned into a mushrooms, LSD type of... They were tripping out. MDMA. Couldn't remember who they were. (laughs) So brilliant. <laughs> that kind of reminded me of Alice in Wonderland. Yes. But that was opium, I believe, right? Which made them sleepy. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not identical, but the adventure part. It and was then, a little like that, certainly. Yeah. Oftentimes, doesn't that, well, no. I was going to say, doesn't that mean it's protecting something? But in Alice in Wonderland, it would make sense. It makes you go to sleep. But this one, perhaps it's protecting something behind its barrier. Could be. And we were also introduced to another forest called the Darkwing Woods. Dense and dark, these woods are a mysterious and unnerving place. Much of the forest remains uncharted, a perfect hiding place for several of Fillory's rare and powerful questing creatures. Rumor has it this is where Martin Chatwin completed his transformation into the beast, using the wellspring power to learn unspeakable dark magic from some of the forest's more sinister denizens. It is also home to the White Lady. So a lot of these questing creatures are just hiding out in there. 
Now, the white lady, unfortunately, I feel like we probably won't see her again. Yeah, she delivered her promise. I don't think you hunt her down twice. So, wish has been granted, and it's probably the end. And Quincy definitely <laughs> fucked up his wish. I want to call him Quincy from now on. It's amazing. Yeah, me too. I am definitely calling him Quincy. Well, we're already talking about it. Let's jump into our plot. As we mentioned, we start out at the retreat. After the fight with the beast in last episode, Quentin's shoulder was severed badly. He wakes up in this place where he's being treated by centaurs who act as magical doctors. He finds out he has received five surgeries and they are now attaching a piece of wood to replace his shoulder. He doesn't quite know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of this. Wood, yes, it's flexible enough to move in the wind, but not flexible enough for a joint. As a joint. It must be imbued with some kind of magical of course, yeah. properties. It's kind of cool. I would like to know more about their healing arts. So he's our version of Groot, maybe? <laughs> it's part Groot. I am Groot. <laughs> he's going to have to worry about termites and things now. I seriously doubt that it's going <laughs> to act like a regular wood. <laughs> We get a brief glimpse of Elliot and Margot here watching as the surgery is being done because early on he's not awake yet. We find out they actually performed five surgeries and they're just watching the centaurs performing it behind the curtain. And of course you get the Margot-like line. I know we're being serious right now, but that surgeon has the biggest dick. That's hilarious. And the look on Elliot's face is perfect. <laughs> and this is why they're so good with they each other. They are so silly. And it's just the show saying, you know, welcome back, episode four. Yeah. Just a reminder, this is the type of show we are. <laughs> and just a reminder, Margot is a little obsessed with the magical creatures thing. And speaking of Margot and Elliot, are they wearing different crowns now than they had from the beginning? My memory is not as good as yours, but when you say something like that, I tend to believe it. They were in the same overall shape, but there was more color to it. And I don't know if it's just the way they're shooting these scenes. Hers looked very gold. His appeared to have colored stones in it that I didn't remember before. Well, if you remember, when we were introduced to it, they were in the throne room, and this was before the throne room was fixed up, so it was very dark and dull in there. Yeah, that could be. It definitely could be. Well, the two of them now go over to the high council meeting. They're left to deal with the problems of the people. They're told by the council that with the beast dead, there's a power vacuum in the kingdom. And Fen tells them everyone assumes they will be dead, run away, or go mad soon. They're afraid that Fillory's going to be left with no leadership. Okay, so these people from Earth come and take care of the beast that's been making Fillory suffer for so many years. And in the course, one of them dies. But instead of being hailed as the heroes, mm -hmm. there's rebellion. This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, rebellion, people refusing to pay taxes. I think it's not that they're dissatisfied with the rulers, meaning our kings and queens, children of Earth. Martin wasn't any kind of great ruler. He was a terrible, tyrannical dictator. But there was some type of structure. They knew that if they stepped out of line or did things wrong, they were going to be in trouble. They were probably going to die. They had to just stay out of his way. Without him, there is no leadership, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think that leaves the people open to doing things however they like. This could turn into a bit of anarchy. 
you can't just have people rebelling and not paying their taxes. You have to do something about that. Right. And I don't think they expect the kings and queens to do so because they haven't for a very long time. Anybody that ascended to the throne, they immediately started killing each other or they pieced it and went back to earth. So they've spent years dealing with this. They probably just assume it's more of the same. And at a point in time where they're suffering worse than ever, magic is dying. The kingdom is starving. Okay, mm-hmm. I can empathize with them on that. But what if Elliot tells them all the kings and queens that have been coming have been getting hit with the beast's spell mm-hmm. as soon as they sat on the throne, blah, 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 blah. But we have rectified that. We have also rectified this beast. I'm working with the farmers to make the crops grow. Mm-hmm. This, will, this is a process, and we are here to help, as we already have in abundance. Chill out. And relax. Yeah, well, he's got to first, <laughs> like you said, say something to them. They don't even know who these people are. Yeah, They're still strangers. Himself. I mean, maybe some of them in places like the Outer Islands don't even know that there's new kings and queens. And then I think he has to show that something's happening. All of these things are going to take a while to go into effect. The crops need to start growing again. They're trying to filtrate the wellspring, but it's still not working at this time. It probably seems to them like they've hit rock bottom. Fillery is in serious danger, and it doesn't matter that you're doing little things to help. We're all still screwed. So it's the council's unfortunate responsibility to break this news to them. Margot is not too happy about it. By the way, this is the moment where we see that random sloth climbing a tree branch in the background. I don't know where this character came from, but I definitely want to know more. That was interesting. Well, he's one of the talking animals, which we wouldn't know because he didn't speak to us. Mm-hmm. And as such, they have representation on the High Council in the form of her slowness. Abigail the Sloth. The talking animals often split into factions by species, but all have one thing in common. Pride in their superiority over their nonverbal counterparts. So uh, that's the representative for the animals. Okay. That's interesting. So she's actually part of the council. Yeah. She's a character from the book, but not in this way. She wasn't a, a representative. She would come in later. It's so I, funny. I guess she kind of was, but she didn't sit there. Well, I'm just thinking about that animated film, Zootopia, and how slow the sloths oh, were in the DMV. I loved them. So can you imagine? <laughs> I'm hoping that sloth talks a little faster Give than that. Give a speech. Yeah. I want to hear it. <laughs> the council continues to say that Ember's befouling was substantial. So, right, the filtration is going slowly, things aren't recovering fast enough, and they can't find Ember to help them. Throughout all of this, Elliot is distracted. He's not listening to a word they're saying, and at the end of it, he proclaims he wants them to build a 100-foot-high statue to honor the befallen Queen Alice. 100-foot statue. That's a little extreme. Yeah. It's almost like none of those... Incredibly serious problems registered for him. Margot must notice this and feels like she has to shake him out of it. She pulls him to the side and says, So that's the plan, huh? Blow all our cash on sappy nonsense, bankrupt the kingdom? We have to do something. Alice was our friend. No, she wasn't. Alice was a package deal. She came with Quentin. Somebody skipped her colonic this morning. For whatever stupid reason... You're the high king of an entire land. You have to be responsible, Elliot. Since when are you Fillory Clinton? Since I'm me. She was a package deal that came with Quentin. 
and Elliot needs to be responsible and not bankrupt the kingdom. Well, I agree with that as well. Um, well, not that she was never a friend, but you have to be responsible. Yeah, <laughs> we have more money's an issue. More important right now. things, right, to worry about. And he opens up here and says, "I wasn't ready to be a king. I wasn't done being me yet. Now we're just grown-ups. How did this happen?" It was so much simpler when it was just one giant dick trying to kill us. Well, in essence, it's true because they had one goal and they could just zero in on that goal. But when you have these kind of issues where he's being bombarded with all these different things happening, that's when it's difficult to man up and try to fix things because you don't know where to start, especially when you're lost like this. He actually has to rule. We see him being buried under a mountain of petitions later. He doesn't even know what to do with it. And we're starting to see in this scene and scenes throughout that our crew is actually starting to fight each other again. But not like they're under a spell, but legit fighting about their thoughts on how things should be ruled or their thoughts on how everything has just happened to them. Mm -hmm. It's discouraging and it's scary because they're only at their best and they're only able to conquer when they have each other and they work with each other. Yeah, and what I thought was interesting is it's really Margot stepping up throughout the episode, and it might have been easy to miss that because she doesn't do it in a kind or a gentle way. She does it in her weird Margot way, but she recognized that Elliot was going to crack. If he didn't get a little bit of freedom, a little bit of fun to get out of this mess that he's in right now so he can come back to it with a clean head, he was going to be useless. She immediately came up with a plan, She said she has an idea, and she transported herself back to Earth. We'll check back in with her in a few minutes. First, we see Julia back on Earth, where she finds Katie in a crack den. Mm. She tells her she needs her help and carries her out stumbling. I mean, I guess we're not super smart, but we came up last week with the fact that, oh, (laughs) Katie's definitely going to come back in this storyline. Yes. I didn't see it coming, though, that where she's been this whole time is just getting high. I didn't like that. I thought it was a little extreme because she takes her from the crack den and then she's fine. Totally fine. There's no withdrawal. She just looks a little tired. Her hair's a little disheveled. Maybe there's a magic spell to get over addiction. I wish they would have shown that, though, because it's completely unrealistic that she's shooting up. She's got needle marks in her arm. and (laughs) Unless... This gets incorporated back into the storyline that she has addictive qualities or something. I don't see a reason for it to be cracked in. I think it was just grazed over too quickly. Maybe something yeah. else, like she was homeless. She could have been drinking. hiding out. How about out? drinking? Or she could have just been hiding out anywhere. The main thing was she was depressed. She felt bad that she left the group in their moment of need and just ran away. Yeah. So indulging in anything where she's laying low and and feeling really bad about how she handled it. And she's just going to completely bounce back. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Julia is not mad at her and she does need her again. That seemed to snap her out of it a bit. But yeah, the the decision to put her there was a little iffy. Yeah, I guess she has meaning right now to take back control over what she lost control of. Exactly. But, but that's not going to snap you out of crack. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. <laughs> Before we get to see more of what's happening with them, we go to break bills and find out about the trouble with magic. Dean Fogg is trying to consult his magic glow, but it explodes from his casting. He tells Professor Lipson he's had nothing but problems with his spells lately. 
and she confesses she's had brownouts as well, although she thought it was due to the Xanax she was taking. <laughs> and we learn it's, it's everywhere on Earth. Magic is deteriorating, and this is because of the problem that's happening in Fillory. I feel like this was very short-sighted of a god to do. So he shit in the well to kind of get back at the beast and also maybe prevent him from killing himself. Drinking it dry. But, and drinking it dry. But it's killing the water, nevertheless. Yeah. So maybe and he they, dips. Where yeah, they is can't he find right him. now? <laughs> I wonder. There's no more beast to intimidate him. He has mm. no reason to hide. What is the problem? Oh, you're right. I guess they couldn't have him back in the storyline because he could just fix everything now. Perhaps. Maybe, maybe not. But he could at least go there and maybe use magic to get rid of his poop. (laughs) Fish it out of the pool, as Margot describes later. And I guess it's more substantial than just fishing it out would be. That sucks. (laughs) Then they go over to the lecture hall where Margot is poking around when she's startled by Penny who transports haphazardly into the room. He looks sweaty and terrible. He says his hands are still malfunctioning. She breaks the news to him that Quentin was hurt pretty badly and Alice died in the fight, although they did kill the beast. Penny makes an entrance like no other can make an entrance. (laughs) So we know he was having trouble. He was on Earth and he was trying to find his way back to Fillory. And we find out that he was actually going into other worlds. Yeah. And the last three worlds he was in didn't even have oxygen. Can you imagine the panic? Crazy. I have a feeling he might have intentionally came back to break bills here or he was trying because he just wanted to be somewhere safe again after all that. Geez, that must have been really scary, though. I love Penny's reaction when he finds out that Alice passed away. Mm -hmm. It looks very genuine and hurt. Yeah. We can see that Penny does love these people. He does. We go back to Fillory where we see Elliot in bed under a mountain of citizen petitions. Fenn propositions him for sex, but Margot shows up just in time. <laughs> she has an idea to help him. Living clay. Fog left it unprotected at Brickbills, so she stole it to make another Elliot. Okay, before we talk about the another Elliot, mm. we see that uh, Fenn has the Elliot bug. Apparently, she really enjoys sex. And apparently, Elliot has a big PPDP. What was the reason for putting that in there? I don't know. It's awesome. <laughs> but sometimes I think they just get a little carried away with their teenage I, I high school humor. It. Now I see them. I'm like, yeah, Elliot's <laughs> with his long schlong. Some, sometimes it's funny, but I, I don't know. They had to set up that story yes. of Fen continuing to go at him for sex. And I just think they had a difficult time putting that in there. And Fenn's character in general feels very jammed into the storyline. Like, we don't know her that well, but she's supposed to kind of be part of this inner circle. She's causing problems for Elliot, but we don't know a lot about their relationship. Uh, They have to figure out maybe a better way of developing her. I think we will. We'll find out more from her. But certainly that got funny later on. (laughs) Now, back over to the Elliot clone it's kind of like a golem, but not really. How so? We saw that Margot's ex-boyfriend wanted to recreate her. Now, we don't know if he used living clay, but he did something that he made a Margot look-alike. So this could be the same thing for phase one, but Margot has an idea for a phase two. She's going to make this on a whole other level. And she tells him about that in the next scene together. But first, they jump back to Earth 
where Katie confesses to Julia that during the Reynard incident, she left with the thought that she would get the cavalry and come back to help. But then she got scared and just ran. She's shocked now to hear of Julia's new plan to revive Marina. She has her preserved corpse. Marina apparently thought ahead and was able to do this to keep her body intact and also carved a message into her arm that Katie recognizes as a locator number for a book in the library at Breakbills. So it looks like Julia was thinking ahead. When do you think she froze Marina? Oh, I had actually thought Marina planned this whole thing. Oh, and froze her... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how she would have done that, but she certainly knew she had to keep herself from fully dying or deteriorating because she knew about this spell. She left the message for Julia to find carved into her arm. I have something important I still need to tell you, so, you know, find this book, find the spell, and bring me back. That had to come with preserving herself, right? Because otherwise it would have all been moot. I think Katie said you turned her into a popsicle or something like that. Like, you turned her. Meaning Julia. Yeah. Why would Julia want to do that if she didn't know about the plan? Do you think she saw the carving right away? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But she wouldn't have known what it was, right? No, she didn't. But she knew enough to come back to her. So, yes, I think she froze her. And Hmm. she knew that she wanted to... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what was she going to do with her, though? Like, why freeze her if you don't have a plan for that? Maybe that, that's a little snag that I can't quite I figure out. I think we're out. missing something. We must be. Yeah. Well, They're regardless, it, they, well, they did say that Marina had this whole plan. Mm-hmm. That she had an idea. That. So somehow this could have been a part of it. Wh- whoever it was that actually froze her, this could have been a step in the plan. Katie's proving her worth because Julia wouldn't have known that was a book. Um, She wouldn't have known where to find it or how to get it. She knew she needed the help of somebody like this. Are you happy Katie's back? I was happy to bring her back into the story. I don't know if I like the way they're doing it. It feels like they just keep pairing Julia with the strays because they don't know what to do with her story. And for some reason, it's not ready to coincide with the cruise storyline in Fillory. So they have to keep her sidelined on Earth. They spent a long time on the Reynard revenge mission. And now it's going to be figuring out what Marina wanted her to do. So they keep putting her with the people that are left dangling. I see. But I don't feel any real connections forming every time they start that. It falls apart. You know, Marina dies or she leaves. or <laughs> yeah. So I... I want it to feel like it's going somewhere to the bigger idea. Quinton wakes up at the retreat in the forest, a few hours north of Whitespire. The nurse says that the centaurs saved her life once and explains that Q was rebuilt and has been there three weeks due to his severe injuries. He will start physical therapy in the morning. She also tells him his friends had to leave but left him a letter. Hmm. This was a great scene. Yeah, the letter was touching and funny, (laughs) of course. It said, we buried Alice today in the gardens, where she'll always be close by. We left a box of her things if you ever wake up. Please wake up. Your benevolent overlord, High King Elliot. It's so Elliot. I love it. Well, I think also Quentin's reaction to it was very sad as well. Yeah. He's waking up. I'm sure there was a moment where he forgot what happened. Yeah. And then he remembers. He's got some kind of freaking wood arm. He's there by himself. None of his friends are there with him. 
I was checking it out. It was his entire shoulder right down to the bicep. Mm. So that's substantial. Yeah, he was alone, but I think that letter was to let him know he's not really alone. Of course. And it turns out he's not alone physically either. Penny shows up, and he's there to have his hands checked out at Margot's orders. Here's another example. How does she know all these little things? How does she know the centaurs could help him, and she should send Penny there to get checked out? Well, she just watched what the centaurs did for Quentin. Maybe. Up until this point, they didn't even know if Quentin was going to live. This could be hocus-pocus magic for all they know. He's been undergoing five different surgeries. How did she know about the living clay? We think of Margot as kind of this gossipy, flippant character. She's got a lot of knowledge, though, about magical stuff. And when things go wrong, she comes up with plans. She's smarter, I think, than we give her credit for. Oh, I believe so. I never thought of her as dumb. Really, I did for a lot of season one. Not recently. I've been realizing it more and more that this act she puts on is just that, an act. You know, that was kind of evident towards the end of season one. But now she's actually proving herself useful to the group. She's not just out for what's good for Margot. Well, here Penny tries to tell Q that he cared about Alice too. But Quentin gets upset with him and starts blaming him. Because this is what Quentin does. He acts like a child. It's starting to frustrate me. He tells him, you fucked up the one thing we were counting on you for. He still can't take any responsibility for anything that happens. It's always got to be somebody else's fault. Yeah. And he still has no level of gratefulness for Penny. No. For everything that Penny's done for them. And we keep saying this every time. I, d- I can't help it. It frustrates oh, me. No, I agree with you. And again, <laughs> this is one of those moments where I'm like, oh my God, they're falling apart. They're yeah, fighting. It's like, Quentin, I know you're upset, but clearly it's not Penny's fault that not Alice died. No, it's the one woman you, you can't get mad at, or never get mad right. at. Right. Why is he not blaming Julia when she's the one that showed up and messed everything up and he's the one that broke the shield charm to go save her? I, I don't get why he seems to to go so easy on Julia or at times he just totally writes her off. Their relationship is something I can't always figure out. And then we see a centaur examining Penny and deciding he is accursed. Once Penny says it was the river watcher that it did it to him, he won't help. He says, the river watcher is mercurial and dangerous and you erred greatly in offending him. This is when I really realized how powerful this river watcher was the look on that centaur's face he it was drastic he went from very confident like okay we'll take care of this to mm-hmm. like <gasps> and he actually backed up and then he actually shit just like a horse i thought that was brilliant she comes up behind him and, and starts whoop, cleaning whoop, whoop. it which means it often <laughs> happens often just like horses they just yeah, but that's poop a, wherever they're walking. You ever seen horse poop? You think you can do use a shovel and brush no, to brush that up? No, it's big and nasty. I've had to clean up horse poop before. Uh, <laughs> I, I laughed out loud, though, because it's just like a horse. They back up. It was let funny. It like you said, who is this river watcher man, though? How powerful is his magic? And if they wouldn't have got lucky at the end of this episode and managed to capture the white lady... What would have happened to Penny? Was there any other solution that could have possibly got his hands fixed for him? Because he went through trying a lot of different things. I don't think so. 
Meanwhile, Margot shows Elliot his completed clone. She also explains that they will use a variation on mind control that Mayakovsky taught them to create a loophole for Elliot to leave Fillory. His body will stay there, but his mind will go with the clone to break Bill's. Yeah, and when he tries it out and realizes that it works because he loves the idea, he says, why does everything smell so great? Margot responds, because your doppelbanger hasn't met cocaine yet. Hmm. Yeah, that's when that. they get to the party. But I, I, was, I just kept saying, what? Two Elliots? That's all we need in life. Two Elliots? It's awesome. Yeah, and he's contemplating banging himself. He looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Julia and Katie coming up with a plan to get into break bills. Julia can use Richard's alumni key, but she won't know where to go or what to do. So they do a spell to bond them together. This was a little bit weird and cheesy. She just has this heart necklace on her. Yeah. They, they do something that kind of binds them together, and then they split it apart. So Katie is able to watch through a mirror and talk Julia through finding the book in the library. Yeah, it's like a communicator where they can hear each other mm-hmm. and also see things streaming. Yes. Unfortunately, though, once they find the book, they realize it has protection against the removal from the library. Or from Break Bill's property, I guess. So Julia will have to find a place to hide while she copies it down, which will take hours. Library lojack, she said. Yeah. <laughs> what did they call each other? Like best bitches forever or something like that? I don't know. Something about hedge witches. Oh, I thought it was like best, best hedge witches. Hedge bitches. Hedge bitches. There you go. <laughs> Another screaming at us moment for the listeners, probably. We're driving them crazy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's been there's a long a, day. There's a lot of details in this episode. So then they go on to the physical kid's cottage. Margot's plan works, and she and the clone Elliot enter the physical cottage to find everyone cheering for Todd. New plan. I give up on Fillory and dedicate myself completely to destroying Todd. Oh, it's just Todd. Just Todd is usurping me. My entire kingdom is at stake. Your actual kingdom is actually at stake. There are some things more important than saving an entire world. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this isn't really about Todd. He's even wearing Elliot's vest. (laughs) Nobody notices Julia sneak in and hide upstairs. Yeah, I'm assuming Katie told her to go there. Yeah, remember she said... Isn't I have a place that for you to hide. Kind of dumb though. Why would you send her back to the one place where people are always there. likely to know? I don't know. This old gang. And I, it's not that people know Julia, but it's just weird. It's bound to be crowded. There has to be quiet places on the Breakbills campus that you could easily hide instead of going into a cottage full of people and trying yeah. to find an empty room. That was a little weird, but I did like the immediate reaction of Elliot seeing that it's Todd that's taken over. Yeah. He's wearing his shit. He's wearing his vest for God's sakes. And his hair's different. Yeah. He's taking on the role. Which I don't blame him for. Really. If they, they no, think he he's dead and kind of pushed around when he was their little underling there. Oh yeah, of course. This is his chance to shine. Kinda like a frat. <clears throat> yeah, but this is that younger part of Elliot and the group coming out again that he was Big man in the cottage, you know? He was the cool guy, and he misses that when things were... He was the big dingling? Sim- <laughs> <laughs> when things were simple, in a sense. He talks later about how he was known for always making the best drink at the party, and he can't lose that status, too. It means a lot to him. And we see 
in Fillory, while Quentin goes through the box of Alice's things, he notices the white lady. He sees her for a moment in the trees, but then she disappears. I like the explanation the nurse gives of this, that it must have been she showed herself to a centaur, and he was lucky enough to To get a glimpse of that. Simultaneously, Penny wakes in his bed next door to his hands choking himself. He goes to Quentin, explaining that he broke his own arms to stop them from doing that. Oh my goodness. Can you even imagine? He must have done it with magic because there's no way to break your own arms. Oh, jeez. But we didn't hear a screaming or anything. Nope. And he didn't look like he was in too much pain. He can take some pain, huh? Losing his hands twice and... Break his arm. Well, now just have the fortitude to say that he wants Q to cut them off. Go get an axe, he tells him. Oh, that's when we find out. Maybe that's why he wasn't feeling it. And he was so like, I just broke my arms. He was drinking. He was drunk. Yeah. Right. He was drinking the centaur booze, (laughs) which, uh, yeah, I'm sure has to be strong as hell. Yep. By the way, this is when we had commercials. I'm sorry to go on this rant. I normally do this for bonuses, but this new Taco Bell commercial is ridiculous. It's a. The chicken chalupa, and and it's basically the chicken is the taco shell, and then the taco stuff oh, is inside of boy. it. Boy, I remember they did this once many years ago. It was similar to that at KFC. Instead of a bun, it was two things of chicken. This is just silly. And, it, <laughs> and back then, to me, it looked so good on TV. But then when you ordered it, it was just grease. Yeah, that's just terrible. And that's what's going to happen with this. It's, mm-hmm. It just looks nasty. And I'm one of those weird people that actually really like Taco Bell, at least ever since they improved and they're serving somewhat better food nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't like that. Anyone, I don't think anyone will agree with you that they're serving somewhat better food. Do you remember how Taco Bell used to be, though? You couldn't even eat there without being sick for yeah, the rest of the they, night. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Tangent. Sorry, it's not a bonus cast, my bad. Now, this is when we see Elliot meet Javier, (laughs) second-year Spanish student, there for Welter's tournament. Yeah, we saw that in season one, that I guess a bunch of schools come and they compete in this big Welter's tournament. Oh, that's the, okay. So it's a good explanation how you get somebody there that Elliot's never met before. And that Elliot definitely would have remembered. That's clever. They flirt, of course. And Elliot is kind of keeping his mind on track, not for Fillory, but for his, I need to redeem my crown here mm-hmm. as well, until Javier wins him over. Then they go to the bedroom, and as they start to have sex, Elliot is transported mentally back to Fillory to Fen waking him up for sex. <laughs> this is so apropos I for Elliot. It. I love it. He starts going back and forth between the two. That was hilarious. I love that. He's like, no, don't stop. I mean, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He's telling Javier he wants to have sex right now. So also agreeing to Fen. At first it freaks him out, but then he goes with it. He's realizing he either has to say no to both of them or yes to both of them. Because his mind is in both places. So it's doing whatever he tells it to do. (laughs) If anyone's going to have sex like this, it would be Elliot. I mean, he's literally going to have sex with both his bodies at the same time. Do you think this is still considered a threesome? (laughs) No, I don't think so. But I was thinking to myself, this is the perfect solution for him because he actually gets to be with somebody that he likes 
And in the meantime, he did have to sleep with Fen at some point. He wasn't going to be able to put her off forever. So, Well, they did have sex once, I think, because that's why she's so enamored. Right. It. But he wasn't really that into it. Right. Of so <laughs> now it kind of works for both of them because she doesn't know that's what's happening. I bet no one else would have been able to pull that off. Just as a side note, we also see that Julia is still upstairs copying notes until the sun comes up. It's like she's copying hieroglyphs or something. Yeah. Which is very meticulous. Sure. Ugh. Not fun. No. (laughs) Back at the retreat, the nurse tells Quentin that Penny lost a lot of blood, but he'll live due to their impromptu amputation. And then she talks to him about his own physical therapy, and he decides he wants to learn archery. This just reminded me, we forgot to talk about the scene with him hacking his hands off. Well, I purposely didn't talk about it because it's just kind of gruesome. I thought it was hilarious the way they did it, where he just started panicking. He's like, I can fix it. And then starts chopping, <laughs> chopping, chopping. <laughs> and yeah, just yet another moment where we have to feel terrible for Penny, though. And so now, of course, he goes out to find Q in the woods sucking at archery. And he's a bit disgruntled, you could say. Nevertheless, he tells him how to do a spell to make an arrow fly straight, and it turns out he's a pretty good teacher. All he has to work with is his words, explaining to him how to put his hands in the right position. Yeah. Quentin is able to hit the bullseye on the first shot. Again, Penny helps Quentin Mm -hmm. and the entire group out. Yeah. He's been the one doing these little things that is constantly helping them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's a good magician. Very, very good. Very good. I think underrated. We kept talking about Alice because of her power. Now, raw power-wise, she was very good. But Penny has developed a great sense of control and the ability to learn things. He was the one that helped her figure out how to master her emotions and channel it into battle magic. Without using the emotion spell. Right. Yeah. He got control of his own traveling abilities before this problem with his hands happened, and now he's telling Quentin how to use spells. It's at this point that Quentin tells Penny he wants to hunt the white lady. Let's go hunt the white lady? People like me get shot for saying shit like that. She can give you your hands back. What's in it for you? He's found out that she's one of the seven creatures, and if you can catch her, she has to give you whatever you ask. So she could give Penny his hands back and bring Alice back to life. He's a little reluctant about this, but he decides to go along with it for the chance to get his hands back. Who wouldn't? They cross the river and they come to the flying forest. (laughs) This is got to be the best scene of the episode, just jam-packed with humor. We've seen that all of the Penny Quentin moments are really key throughout all of this show, but this is one of the first that I can remember extended moments where it's just the two of them together. They took their time with that, which was very smart. From the moment they walked in the woods, (laughs) Penny just kind of going, I think I'm getting a contact high. Something is going on with these woods. Quentin notes that the trees in this forest can move. Of course, he's got nerdy knowledge about that, that most of them are crepuscular. They're active at dawn and dusk. And they start talking about the most random nonsense. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, we did say this show is so quotable. There's probably like 20 quotes we have already missed. And this scene is full of them, too. Mm -hmm. And these are the funny ones. It it starts off with Penny looks down. 
He realizes he has no hands, and he says, where are my stuff touchers? I love that. It's the best line ever. I'm jumping forward a little bit, but after that, it starts to get so bad that they can't remember who they are or what they're doing there. So Quentin starts to deduce that he must be an adventurer because he has a cool questing outfit, a bow and arrow, and a manservant. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, there's no way I could be a manservant. What'd you say, white boy? But they're not fighting each other for once. They're just walking along through the woods, being stoned together. How could I be a manservant? I have no hands. (laughs) (laughs) He calls him Quincy. He's like, did you just call me Quincy? Yes, I love it. Forever known as Quincy now. What about, um, he's like grabbing his mouth. Uh, Q is grabbing Penny's mouth and he's like, get away from my mouth. And he's like, it's my mouth. <laughs> he's like trying to take it. That was brilliant. Oh, I love those scenes. I wonder how much of that was ad-libbed where I'd, they just ca- got to keep trying different things. Love to see a behind the scenes. Like stuff the touchers. They must have bloopers. said 30 other things before they were like, stuff touchers is perfect. Yes. So now we go to Dean Fogg's office, (laughs) where Elliot explains that Ember shat in the wellspring, and now magic is failing on Earth. And this is when we get Fogg's quote that we already said, but it's worth saying again, (laughs) proving once again that comedy and tragedy can coexist in the same sentence. (laughs) Perfect. I love how they can talk about themselves. The show talks about itself. Yes. And knows what we're thinking, and it's just like, yep, we know. (laughs) Elliot admits that he's in over his head. Not even sure what world his mind is in, and he needs help. He feels like he's been torn in two, and he must choose a life, but is ill-equipped to be a king. Fogg says being an adult means owning your responsibilities. Yeah, this is, again, the show speaking to us. We've been talking about how they're still immature in certain ways. They are going to have to grow up really quick to face the problems they're dealing with, and yet they don't feel ready for that. So Fogg is kind of narrating that to us as well as the characters. It's time now to step up to the plate and be an adult. This is very serious, and you're the only ones that can do it. It doesn't matter if they just gave the kingdom to you. (laughs) Because he's talking about how they conquered it. And Elliot's like, well, they kind of just handed it to us. Dean Fogg is telling him they're making him look bad. The conquer reeks of earth privilege. And so, finally... He is going to help them. I hope so. I mean, he says, this is going to be your thesis. So that was like, oh, fuck. He's going to make them figure it out again. Yeah, but he says, we'll bring in the best we have to offer. Historians, shamans, everything. Whatever they can do. I was thinking, Elliot should tell Fen that he needs to meditate and be alone for a little while. (laughs) This way, he's not going to get woken up mid-sentence or whatever again, you know? That's a good idea, but she is a young girl. In love. She's smitten. She's married to the king. She wants to have her honeymoon period. I don't think she's going to be turned away, no matter what. I guess you're right. (laughs) It's got to be the king. Back to the physical kid's cottage, Margot discovers Julia there. She starts berating her. Julia? What the hell are you doing here? Look, I can explain. After you jumped in and screwed everything up with Penny... Alice died killing your little friend, Martin. The Quinton was almost ripped in half. And you have the balls to come here. Look, if you guys had trusted me, both Reynard and the Beast would be dead. None of that would have happened. Quinton should have left you in your little hedge hole trading rim jobs for spells. 
you actually think because you go to this bullshit school that you're better than me? I think I didn't get my friends killed. You don't have friends. You have people that are so afraid of you, they'd rather be on your side. There's a difference. I mean, I like the idea of them encountering each other. Yeah. The fight rang a little false to me. Yeah? First of all, I didn't quite agree with the comments against Margot. We've come to see that she's so much more than that. Yes, she intimidates people, but those select few who are able to kind of break through her outer shell, they know what's really underneath that. Elliot genuinely loves her. For as many problems as she's had with Quentin, they have come to an understanding of each other. They're a group now. So I don't even think Margot would believe that. She looked like she was hurt for a moment by what Julia was saying. And conversely, Julia wasn't saying it with much conviction. It just... It's the first time I felt the acting didn't quite hit the mark. There wasn't the right chemistry there. Uh, You may be right, but I think from Julia's point of view, that might be what she sees out of her. And besides Elliot, ourselves, and maybe Quentin, maybe Penny, who else do you think feels what you think about Margot? I don't think anyone else in the house. Just our group, but those are her close friends. I mean, how many close friends do you have? Well, we have about 15,000 Flatchers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's what she needs. It's all she needs, I think. And sure, she can have a moment of insecurity, but I'm saying it didn't even feel like either of them was particularly passionate about what they were saying to each other. Right. That burning hatred that's supposed to be underneath it all just wasn't there for me 100%. I did like the moment they had after that, though, where Julia confides that Reynard has murdered dozens of women and this book is her only shot at killing him. Realizing how important that is, Margot shows her a way to copy it. She tells her you can put it in the box with a blank, wait for them to mate, and she'll have a Xerox. Yet again, Margot just proving her random knowledge. She knows how to make a book copy itself. She came up with a brilliant plan to help her. Well, is it random or is it something they learn at break bills? I'm sure nobody taught her how to copy a book by mating it to something else. That seems like something she figured out on her own. But back to the mating books, which I was hoping we would see them. From the book? Yeah. Why do you think Margot chose to help her? Julia was finally honest with her. These are what the stakes are, and I think I might be able to help. This is the way I do it. Yeah, she doesn't have to get too involved. And I could see where Margot sympathizes with that cause. It's just still going on with the Julia revenge plot against Reynard and bringing these other women in that could now potentially be put in danger, like Katie. I thought we were wrapping up all of that stuff from season one, and this still feels a little like a dangling thread to me, so I'm still not loving the Julia subplot, but everything else is really great. Yeah, the Julia thing, I'm kind of over Reynard. Not forever. I mean, this could turn into a great story, but I do feel the stalling mm-hmm. in this. And uh, I guess I'm so intrigued about the cruise journey that they could just have her... They're of... trying to keep her relevant, but they don't need to. She doesn't need to be in the episode every five minutes. No, she doesn't. Quentin finds a necklace on the ground. They're going in circles, but Q finally breaks the pattern and they stumble into a field. The mist goes away and they are no longer high. 
and Q recognizes the necklace is Alice's. He falls down on the ground mm. and he starts to break down. Does the high wear off that quick or does the necklace help the, the high wear off? No, I think the necklace is what sparked him to do something different. When he found it in the forest, that's why he decided they had kept left. making the same turn at that rock. Yeah. And it's what caused him to make a different turn. But it looked like just exiting the forest, you immediately got over the being high thing. They, You see that they know who each other are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's completely grief-stricken. Yeah. Now, that just makes me realize when we saw them high and the first time they go to that stone and they have to go left or mm-hmm. right, and they're like, which way? And he's like, right. And then they look down, there's footsteps, and then we'll go the way the track the path traveled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first time for us. I bet they've done that a couple of times. That was their feet. Oh, sure. They've been in cool. there forever. That's sort of the hallmark of the forest is it keeps you stuck and confused. Yeah. But when it comes back to him, the memories, the emotions, it was almost like the emotion bottle flooding back. He's overwhelmed with the loss of Alice. And Penny tries really hard to relate to him, maybe for the first time. He says, I know how you feel. I was in your mind before. Oh, yeah. He actually saw what he was thinking and going through. And Quentin's about to go at him again, like he has been doing. But Penny says he needs him. And that's vulnerable for Penny. Oh, absolutely. I didn't think we'd ever hear Penny say something like that. And this is another sign of growth from him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think him losing his hands is what he needed for a while to kind of work out all these issues he has inside and to struggle through this. I think this is the lesson the Riverman was trying to teach him that we had speculated about, and perhaps he did learn. The next scene is back at Whitespire. Before they go in, you get a great shot of the exterior of the castle. Oh, yeah. Just looking beautiful. Margot returns and tells Elliot he's right about the Alice statue after all. They owe it to her. Elliot has come around to the fact that they don't have the money to build it, but Margot says they should build it themselves. And use magic. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they think of that in the first place? <laughs> so again, Margot solving a problem. All episode long, it seems. Margot and Penny. This is the scene when I start to think, all right, so we got Quentin and Penny pretty much making up and, and finding a resolve, and mm-hmm. they're stronger now. And we got Elliot and Margot as well coming together, and they feel stronger. So this is good. This is, um, they had a little bit of break. They had a little bit of tension, and hopefully they work through it, and we don't get too much of this over and over again. Mm-hmm. Julia figures out why Marina wanted her to get the book. It's a necromancy spell. They can bring her back, but the effects are unstable. It will only last a few minutes. It works, but Marina is a mess. She cries that they don't know how bad it is where she was, and she doesn't want to go back. Yeah, where was she? Well, I was thinking, do you think she was in hell? Because she's done a lot of wrong. Some kind of purgatory, hell, something like that. And the acting was brilliant on that part. You can feel the pain and the horror. I have a feeling that because she did this spell, it stopped her from truly dying. So she might have been kind of trapped somewhere in between. Okay. I like that. But I doubt where she's going next is going to be a heck of a lot better. I mean, was this the big message? How to kill Reynard? I don't think it's how to kill him. I think it's more to how to trap him where he was. Well, she didn't even tell. Right. She didn't even get out much about it except that. 
it had been done before, that Julia could do it because 40 years ago a girl managed to banish him from Earth, and he's been there ever since then. Right. Until the group inadvertently brought him back. Okay, but didn't we see, like, two more seances that people were doing? So if they just banish him, we see that a lot of people are it doing these seances. It could just keep happening. Yeah. So you got to get rid of him. You can't just banish him. And she doesn't even know how to banish him still. Or just, who the person is. Just that it can be done. I mean, it really wasn't a heck of a lot of help. No. <laughs> to her credit, she's pretty strong that she was even able to say anything in that moment. And Julia was telling her, you got to just... You're the strongest Be the brave person, person I know. Collect yourself here. You had something that was this important to you to tell me, and I want you to be able to do that. Yet again, we're going to leave this whole trapping Renard thing on a cliffhanger, and clearly they're nowhere near done with that story yet because now they're going to have to figure out how to banish him. 40 years ago, so that person's still alive probably. Maybe 60 years old. Oh, that's a good thought. Maybe it's someone at Brickbills, one of the teachers. Hmm. Well, now we go to our last scene, where Quentin and Penny enter the Darkling Forest to hunt the White Lady. Quentin manages to shoot her with Penny's spell. They go and they meet her. They see that she's mysterious. She seems to know things about them. It hurts. I'm sorry. Uh, Why have you come? That's my arrow. You have to give me what I ask. Obviously, you turd. Well, look at you. Someone's been rebuilt. And so... Could you not? Here's a riddle. How much do you have to lose before you're no longer yourself? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? What is it? She confirms that they will each get one wish, but says she cannot bring Alice back to life. All creatures have limits, and they can't pierce that veil. Penny wastes no time asking for his hands back, and she is able to do that. They immediately regrow. He falls to the ground and goes to sleep until he's healed. She then returns to Q, saying, There's nothing I can give you that will soothe your shade. Only what I can take away. I thought it was interesting that she used this word shade that we heard Martin talking about, the Mm -hmm. part of the soul that can feel things. And that didn't work out so well for Julia. I mean, they were able to kind of remove her memories for a while, but eventually it came back. She says something similar. He would eventually find his way back to sadness. So on some level, it would still kind of be there. I was thinking to myself here, I understand how much Quentin has gone through and how hard it must have been to lose Alice in that way. The minute he finds out that he can't have her back, his mind doesn't even go to anything else that they could possibly really benefit right now. I mean, for instance, I don't think she would be able to fix this wellspring problem. If she can't bring somebody back from the dead, it's unlikely. But it maybe was worth an ask. She could at least clean it, get rid of the shit. Any one of these huge problems they're having that would benefit the greater good, all he can think about is himself and his loss and his pain. And we're seeing that as a theme with these characters. And it winds up being to their detriment and everybody else when they're only able to focus on the bad things that they've gone through? Well, Quincy, for sure, that's been his problem this whole series, season one and two. And it's not getting better yet, it's getting worse. (laughs) Well, what are some other things he could have asked for? He could have asked for a way to bring magic back to Fillory, 
or for a way to replenish the wellspring. You know, maybe not just like you can't just replenish it, but something similar to that. For them to be good rulers of yeah. Fillory, which would in turn maybe ensure that they were able to do all of those things. I would have asked, if anything, I would have asked for more power if all of those didn't work. I would have been like, all right, just give me the, mo- the most amount of power you can give me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. This is where he gives his speech. You would find your way back to sadness, no matter how far you run from it. Well, that's comforting. Is there nothing else you desire? Everything I've ever wanted, I've got. Magic is real, and it can fix anything except what I need. I love Curl. My entire life, I've dreamed of Fillory that I would be like Martin Chaplin. I'd find a way to stay here forever. Send me home. Is that really what he wanted? It's not what he wanted at all, and that's kind of the point. He is not able to have the things he wants Mm -hmm. the way he wanted them. He wanted to find a girl he can fall in love with, but she was taken from him all too soon. He wanted to live in the magical world of Fillory that he read from his books, only to come here and find that it was ruined. None of these things can make him happy, so why bother staying here and being tormented by it? Just get me out. But I guarantee you, he's probably going to regret that in about five minutes. What a wasted question. It's ridiculous. He can wish for anything in the world, and he just blows it off. He throws it away. Uh, I'm very mad at him. The look on his face at first when he gets sent back to Earth is regret. But then it kind of shifts into, like, yep, this is what I want. But it's bullshit. He's, He's... not even what I want. Almost like I be- I deserve this. I should yeah. be here and be miserable. Because even in Fillory, I can't be happy. So just punish me. You know? The sequencing of it is different in the books. And this means that the reasons he did this are very different from what they were in the book. And I don't know that I like it. It's saying something different about his character. Very selfish. He's got yeah. other friends there that are... I guess you would say suffering because they they're, have... They're suffering and they're fighting an incredibly difficult battle. So now he's basically giving up on them too. Like leaving it to them to figure out how to fix Fillory, how to fix magic. It's, you know... It's rude. This whole scene was great. I love the way Penny was in this where he comes in after and he's like, Oh, we, we caught you. We both get a wish. <laughs> Don't like, forget yeah. about me. Quentin promised I can get my hands back from this, and I still want my wish, so. Yeah, that was great. It was very Penny-like, and he took advantage of his wish. And I loved how he was screaming, and she just kind of, like, shuts him off. Yeah. <laughs> when I was thinking, it was a smart decision to make him asleep, because if he had been awake and witnessed Quentin doing that, he could have just traveled back to Earth and brought him right back here. 
But now, perhaps he wakes up, the white lady's gone, nobody knows where Quentin went. Is he going to be stuck on Earth now? Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, how else is he going to get back here? Really, it's Penny that's been doing it for them because he can travel them. Yep. Or the magic the button. button that Margot has. But if they don't know where he is... Do you think he's going to run into Julia? I don't know because I'm not sure where exactly he is right now on Earth. Just that it's a crowded city street. We're assuming New York, right? Yeah. <sighs> Quentin. But he very symbolically throws out his bow and arrow. This metaphor of the quest that he was on and the life he was starting to lead. Right in the garbage. I have to say, I don't think, and this isn't a detriment to the actor, or really the character, it's the character that is, but I don't think I'm ever going to give him Magician of the, of the Week. Quentin. Yeah. And I, I've been saying it since we started these, I want so badly to. Yeah. He's supposed to be our main character, and on some level I assume we're supposed to root for him, although... It is that similar feel to the book that it's hard to get on board with somebody who can't get on board with himself and behaves this way so often in a way that's very teenager-ish and frustrating. But if he does find his way, it'll mean all that much more. Yes. He has a lot to overcome. And I'm not saying I hate the character or anything like that. I'm just saying he's never the one to stand up for himself like that. Like we need him to be the magician of the week or help. Yeah, he's written very well because I think it's supposed to inspire those feelings in you. So do you think Penny's hands are completely healed now? Like that's going to be the end of this. When you asked me that question after Pearl, quote unquote, healed him, I said no. Mm. This one, I'm going to say yes, because I think the storyline is ready to move forward. And he's gone through a lot to get these hands back. So I think, yeah. And it was such a magical creature who did it yeah. for him. Along those lines, do you think we'll see any of the other questing creatures? We're going to have to. These are great creatures, great magic. Uh, maybe not all this season, but mm-hmm. I think we will. I would love that. Where do you think Quentin goes next from here? What is he going to do back in New York? I think he's going to try to go into the fold of the regular life, maybe start a podcast. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think he's going to go into the fold of the regular life for a minute. Like a nomad. Yeah. And either he's going to realize this isn't what he wants or someone will come get him or he'll have um, a dream of something Mm. and he'll need to get back to break bills at least to get back to Fillory. As I said, this is one of my favorite episodes particularly because of the quotable sections. Mm -hmm. And I know we've missed so many. So I want our Clatchers to email us or tweet us or Facebook us your favorite quote of this episode. Even if it's one we said already, because we had some of the key ones. For sure. Well, I definitely loved this episode too. So that takes me into our rating. How many crowns do you give episode four, Jason? I'm giving it 9.4 crowns. Nice. So a big bump. Uh, As a reminder, you were at an 8.4. Yes. And the two prior were 9.2. So it's my favorite of the season so far. For all the reasons we've said, there was so much growth with our characters and there was some deterioration Mm -hmm. with our characters. And two Elliots. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree with you. And I give it a 9.4 as well. I was at an 8.9 for last episode. I liked it a little bit more than you did, but this is absolutely my favorite so far. 
The only downfalls were the slight sluggishness of the Julia story. Slothiness, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the parts that felt a little bit jammed in there. But everything else was just spectacular. And how about your MVM? Who's the most valuable magician here? As we said on Twitter, to the man himself, I have to go with Penny. You are cheating again. And now for a different <laughs> reason. Not that you copied mine this time. And Never actu- copy you. Actually, it may be the first time in a long time that we have a different most valuable person. So I love that. But you picked Penny last episode. Hey, we're, listen. We're not supposed to pick the same one twice. You made that rule up. And I you feel agreed if you to earn it. it twice, you get it twice. All right. Well, we're going to have to put a cap on it, though. How no. many times can you do one character for this season? 13 times. Let's say three. 13. So you can choose Penny <laughs> once more. Okay. One more. Okay. He was funny. He helped Q. He called him Quincy. He had the best quotes. His stuff touchers. Stuff touchers. Ah, oh, it was epic. <laughs> and he got his hands back. I'm really happy for that. Yes. I would have loved to give it to him too, but I really feel the episode here goes to Margot. And I've said it multiple times. We've seen her quietly stepping up to the plate. She doesn't even want attention for it, but she comes in at just the right moment to help out numerous different characters with an idea for a spell, a plan of action, a way to get them out of their funk. It's Margot starting to be a leader as we haven't seen her before not just out for Margot. i hear you on that yeah she does you're probably right on that but um i'm sticking with mine <laughs> you're free to do so we also had another fillery quest number four creatures of fillery it says if you're going to navigate fillery you're going to need to understand the powers perils and peculiarities of its creatures And it then gives you a scroll down of the magic black market. I was having some difficulty with the website this time. And I tried it on my computer as well as my iPad and with multiple browsers. Mm -hmm. It seemed like there was supposed to be text as well or something there. Yes. But all I could see were images. Oh, no. There was a lot of text. One of which is what I quoted earlier about the sloth. Oh, okay. And they, they bring you into... They describe all the different types of... Things that are there. Animals or they... Like you, yeah, the flora <clears throat> and fauna. Yes, exactly. But you already covered it because you knew it. Because you wicked smart. Well, we saw the pictures of the sloth, the drawing of a mermaid, a tree, a picture of a centaur, a dwarf, and the white lady. So, I mean, this is really meant for you to go explore. So definitely go check it out. And after this, I'm going to find a way to view it better. And maybe we'll talk about some more information next time. Moving on to Clatcher's comments, I want to give huge shout-outs to Feral Audio Enthusiast and Dexstar for giving us amazing reviews on our Magician's Podcast channel. Keep those coming, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. We also had two emails and responses to things we talked about last time. Lindsay gave her thoughts on last episode with the Penny's Hands situation. She said she was glad it wasn't such a quick fix, although the show can move pretty quickly, like with the curse being resolved but I thought it was funny and remained in the vein of the show not taking itself too seriously. Regarding Alice, for some reason I find her far less annoying this year, and I found the ending touching. When it looked like Quentin was going to let them go on for half an episode without mentioning the curse, I was getting a bit frustrated, but thank God he brought it up as soon as he did, or my review on this episode would be far less favorable. 
I also wanted to say I agree there are far too many commercials. Agreed. Think hard we DVR it. She said live viewing would be intolerable <laughs> on this show. You know, we do have to say, Christina works till like 8.30 that night, so she doesn't get home in time, so we're DVRing it. Mm-hmm. So when you guys tweet us about the show while you're watching it, we totally ignore you till we're complete, and that's why you get the delayed reaction yeah, from us. Yeah, we're about a half an hour behind you guys. <laughs> Melly also wrote in regarding the conversation we had with the ability to retain things and how we feel like if we take in something new, we kind of have to push something old out of our memory box. She said, researchers say this is why we do not remember things from when we are babies or in early childhood, typically before age five. Our brains are too small and not developed enough. It therefore throws away old memories to keep the new ones, except for major events that are marked or traumatized us. At some point, our brains become larger, more developed, and we have the ability to retain more memories. Hmm. Which I definitely remember reading about that before, and I think it's true, which is why it's so weird that I'll forget things that happened yesterday, but I do have memories from when I was four years old. <laughs> yeah. Maybe my brain is just haywire. I have no memories, ever. <laughs> I, I think I just have better long-term, maybe, than short-term Molly also said in reference to our conversation about pausing time that there is a British movie called Cashback, which I've never heard of. One of the actors in it is Sean Biggerstaff. He's the guy that played Oliver Wood in Harry Potter, the one who used to be the leader of their Quidditch team. Oh, yeah. And he has the ability to freeze time in this movie. So that's definitely got to go on our list of movies to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. And she provided some great fan art as well of Alice. So yeah, thank that you for cool. that. We love those tidbits and information on inside things behind the episode, recommendations for things to watch, and fun extras. So definitely always keep those coming. So that's it for this episode. We do have our brief explanation of episode five. So if you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time. For everybody else, episode five will be called Cheat Day. Quentin adjusts to his new life. Penny seeks help from an unexpected source. Elliot and Margot contend with the dangers of ruling. Juliet and Katie discover another consequence of Reynard's attack. Oh boy. They just won't let it go, huh? <laughs> we want to thank everyone for listening and invite you to follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, Facebook, check out our website, Contact us via email and take a look at our Patreon. You might dig it. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.